Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released, and it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today, but if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've released as well. And now, onto the show. I turned to the Lord and said, God, I'm scared. I, I'm not going to live through this night. I'm terrified. I don't want to go to hell. I'm, my life is a wreck. I feel like there's no hope for me. And at that point, uh, a light didn't shine out of heaven. I did not hear an audible voice, but I really do believe I sensed the presence of God and His, His Spirit speaking to me. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled. Real people telling true stories about God's compelling love working in their lives. I'll tell you more about Compelled and share a sneak glimpse of our next episode and tell you how to win a free DVD and book from today's guest right after our story. We hope that you enjoy hearing the story of Philip Telfer, who as a young man was driven to a point of such hopelessness and despair that he planned his own suicide. Yet at that very moment, God met him and saved him. Today, Philip serves as the teaching pastor at Living Water Fellowship in Belverde, Texas. He's the founder of Media Talk 101 and the founder and director of the Christian Worldview Film Festival. We hope you enjoy. Well, Philip, it is good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Compelled. So, Philip, I've known you for probably like, uh, well, I've known you better for like the last four or five years, but I actually met you, I want to say like, Man, back in 2006 or seven, probably at a film festival, somewhere way back there. Can you briefly, um, I guess, tell us a little about your childhood and just your, your early years growing up? Yes. Well, I am very grateful to have been raised in a Christian home. And so in a small rural town in the middle of the state of Oregon. And uh, my mom and dad, they took us to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and every Baptist business meeting. So nice. we were whatever, you know, we were in church all the time. And I look back and I'm so grateful for, for them making that a priority. Now, having said that, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I was the middle of three boys, and for the most part, we had a pretty stable household, but Philip... The middle boy just seemed to be, you know, marching to the beat of a different drummer. Really? And I really struggled. Uh, I think when I was very young, just fitting in in school, hmm. you know, I went, went to school and the things my friends were teaching me, the things I was, I was learning in media and entertainment, uh, which ran counter to what I was learning in church and in my home, to me, those things felt like they were worth more and worth pursuing. Yeah. And I felt like I was missing out if I didn't have those things. Yeah. So I, I made a conscious choice. Like I'm choosing to follow my path rather than to follow God. And I was I was deceived in thinking that I could somehow you know live in both worlds and be okay. And by the time I reached high school and I was getting involved in drugs and alcohol and and continuing on my rebellious streak, I was also becoming more depressed and suicidal. Wow. And uh, from the time I was a freshman in high school to the time I was a senior, struggled with thinking about suicide, uh, dreaming about it, plotting it. Um, and it was my heart was very dark, and part of that was due to drugs. Part of that was due to my rebellion. Obviously, just my distance from having a real relationship with God. 
And then also I was dabbling in the occult. So you put wow. all those things together and it just makes for a bad mix. Wow. And so my heart was very darkened, very depressed. But the one thing that really helped me during those years was that that basic fear of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me if uh, I end my own life. I was I was afraid of, yeah. of not going to heaven. Yeah. Well, what happened was it all came to a crux in... Literally, in uh, my senior year of high school, there were several things that had gone on where I, I had a very bad week, very depressed. Looking back now, maybe they weren't so major, but you know, when you're 17 years old, they, they were major. And I got so depressed, and I was so deceived, and I, and I just didn't want to live anymore. I was afraid of dying for many years, and that's what kept me from committing suicide. But I'd become very afraid of living. Hmm. So I determined that night, it was in December of uh, 1989, that I would not live through the night. And that's a very scary place to be in, to start thinking about how you're going to end your life. Am I going to leave a note? And something happened, though. I said, I'm so afraid of going to hell for the kind of life I've been living and for killing myself that I'm going to pray and ask God to forgive me ahead of time for what I'm about to do. The interesting thing was, was it caused me to turn my heart to the Lord yeah. <laughs> in prayer. So even though what I intended to do in that prayer was wrong, what came out of that prayer was completely different and what I needed. Basically, as I, I turned to the Lord and said, God, I am scared. I, I'm not going to live through this night. I'm terrified. I don't want to go to hell. I'm, my life is a wreck. I feel like there's no hope for me. I have no future. I have uh, my my present is messed up. I got all these regrets in the past, and and I'm just I'm scared, and I feel like there's no hope. And at that point, uh, a light didn't shine out of heaven. I did not hear an audible voice, but I really do believe I sensed the presence of God, mm. and His His Spirit speaking to me, and essentially telling me something I'd heard preached growing up many times. It just didn't sink in, and it was basically Philip the life that you want to live, that you really long for, can't be found in the way you're going. You know, you're going to have to let that go and lose your life mm. and, and come follow me, and you'll find the life that you're longing for. Yeah. You know, and Jesus said that. You know, he said, you know, if you wish to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. But I just didn't, that night, it was a revelation. And it just made complete sense to me. Wait a minute. I'm ready to die tonight. I'm ready to end my existence, Philip Telfer, is no longer going to exist. Why don't I just end it this way? Why don't I just say goodbye to Philip Telfer, hello to following the Lord, and trust that he's got a life for me that's, that's worth living? So I tell people, uh, I did commit suicide, but it was a spiritual suicide, and the Philip that came out of that room the next morning was not the same Philip that went into the room that night. And wow. when I sense this tremendous freedom by by turning my heart to the Lord and essentially repenting and saying, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. I'm done with this other life. I, I made a prayer that I reflect upon quite a bit. And I said, God, I have one request, though, if it's okay for me to like put put a word in for myself here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, since I'm, I'm dying tonight <laughs> and my life is going to be different from here on... Uh, would you put me to work? Would you give me something to do? Hmm. I, I, I would. Would you make me useful? You know, and I didn't have all the theological terminology. I've just just make me useful for your sake. 
and I'll, and I'll, I'll be glad to serve you. Hmm. And that's really where it all began. And I'm grateful. He is, he has been very faithful to give me a lot of things to do um, well, in his kingdom. That's that's really encouraging to hear. This is a really unique testimony. Like I, I've heard other people's testimonies that came from similar um, maybe circumstances surrounding them, but I've never heard one before where they were saying I was going to commit suicide. And then as I was praying just before committing suicide, like God changed my heart like right then. And that that's just really astounding. What what happened like the very next day? Like when you walked out, like did you just? Well, I had to get up. I had to get up and go to school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did your friends at school like, hey, what's different? Or, or was well, it more of a gradual change? Or like- it was. It was. There wasn't time to be too gradual because I was now entering into my last uh, season of high school. You know, this was December, and uh, I only had a few months left before I'd graduate, and so I went all. I went all in. You know, for the Lord. Yeah. And I made it very bold that I was no longer living for myself, that I was going to live for Jesus. And a couple things happened. One was uh, I lost a lot of friends. Mm. You know, a lot of friends felt like I was a sellout, mm. that I'd given in to the pressure of my... Because they knew my family situation. They knew that I was in a Christian home. But then some of my friends actually came to the Lord. Not many of them, but some of them began to turn to the Lord, and I made new friends. Yeah. I began to find a an affinity with people I previously didn't have an affinity with. And a lot of neat things started happening. Also, during that time, I was, uh, I was involved in the... Uh, I was a freestyle BMXer during those years. Okay. I got, I got, I got uh, involved in it when I was in, you know, a freshman in high school. It was a, a relatively new sport, doing tricks on a 20-inch BMX bike. That scene does put you kind of in the groove of the skateboarding scene as well and the punk rock scene. Mm-hmm. So that was, that, was my, that was my direction. Well, during that, culturally during that time, especially in the punk rock scene, you, you had a jacket you know, that you would decorate. You'd put spikes, studs, chains, patches. Yeah. But the, the back of the jacket was for your political or cause statement. Interesting. And I remember I'd, I'd, I'd recently bought a brand new jacket and I, before I got saved, I was contemplating, what am I going to put? What's my cause? Yeah. Am I going to put on the back of this jacket? And I, I struggled, so I, I didn't do anything. And I was also an artist, so I, I did airbrushing, and so it was not, no big deal. I could really decorate the back of my jacket. It's going to be cool. Yeah. And then I got saved before I put anything on the back of that jacket. And I was, so I said, what am I going to put on there now? So I thought about it. And early on, I, I, I painted a big old cross with the words, Jesus saves, on the back of my jacket, wow. which is pretty extreme. You know, this is, yeah. this is public school. Uh, kids already know me as Philip, you know, the BMX guy. Yeah. So uh, that, was a, that was a very bold statement. And I wanted to make sure that my faith was, was very evident. I didn't want to be ashamed of Christ. Yeah. I was very convicted about that. I'm like, I don't want to be you know, hanging my head as a Christian. I want to be bold. He saved my life. I'm going to proclaim him. That is such a cool story. And thanks, by the way, for sharing just like how God used you, like from an early age, like right after being saved, essentially, you know, just like how you began like sharing your faith and then how God used that to touch other people's lives. That's that's really encouraging. Well, well for me, it's it's very unique. I wish more people could have a similar kind of experience, not that they would be driven to the point of suicide, but that they would truly understand what it means to not belong to themselves anymore. Yeah. And I and I truly came to that place. I don't belong to me. I, I was going to be 
dead and gone. So my life doesn't exist anymore. It only exists for the Lord. So I want to, um, you know, I, I, I want to follow him. I had wanted to become an artist. I wanted to go to, to school. I wanted to go to the Seattle Art Institute. And I didn't think that that would necessarily change, except about two weeks after I gave my heart to the Lord, I began to sense a strong call into ministry, which was something I never imagined in my life. And it scared me. (laughs) I was like, ministry, missions, serving the Lord, whatever. I don't even know what that means or what that looks like. And for about two weeks, I wrestled with it. But it really kept coming back to me like it has now for the last 28 years of my life. Philip, you don't belong to yourself. You, 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 You died. You're a new person. You, you gave your life to the Lord. It belongs to Him. Through, very, through prayer and through circumstances, I felt a strong calling to serve God in Chicago. In Chicago. Even though you had grown up in Oregon. I grew like up in Oregon. Were, never been to Chicago before. Never been to Chicago your entire life, yet you felt like... I really believed God was calling me to Chicago. Now, I was praying about it, and the interesting thing was, I was bold enough to talk to my youth pastor at the time who, you know, I started going regularly to a youth group, and so they, he knew about my new uh, conversion to Christ and my new life, and and then I felt called into ministry. I shared that with him, and then I, when I told him, I said, I really feel God's calling me to Chicago. And at first he was like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. <laughs> but then uh, maybe a week later he came to me and he said, Philip, did you sign up for our spring uh, camp? And I said, yeah, I'm all signed up, ready to go. He said, well... It's exciting. Our uh, guest speaker this year is from Chicago. Okay. And so make sure you meet with him and talk to him, and which I did. And I met this man. His name was Dean. And he uh, was so excited about me feeling called to Chicago. And he told me about this program called Chicago Outreach, which was a summer program. And he says, I'm going to send you the information for it, the application, fill it out, send it in. You'll work with a church for the summer as an intern helping to uh, work on helping to establish outreaches for youth groups that come into the city uh, during the summer. He says, it'll be great. You'll get a good overview of the city. So I did that. I signed up for Chicago Outreach. Uh, unfortunately, I never heard anything back from them. Oh. <laughs> so I, you know, I, had the, I had the application filled out. I had my youth pastor sign it. My parents sign it, sent it in. Never heard anything back from them. I just went anyway. <laughs> you just went anyway? I just went. As soon as I graduated from high school, I packed... The few belongings I had in my little 1976 Volkswagen Rabbit, uh, put my bike on the back, and I headed to Chicago. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? 
Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compelled, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. And you didn't know I didn't church have any, you were going to go to? I didn't have any. I had one contact. I had met another ministry where uh, someone told me they had a brother that was a pastor in Chicago. So they jotted down his number and said, hey, here, in case you ever want to look him up. I had tucked that into my Bible, almost forgot about it. But literally, when I showed up in Chicago, I called and talked to the secretary, explained the best I could. I'm, I'm just arrived in town, and I'm hoping to participate in something called Chicago Outreach, but I don't know anything about it. They said, we're sorry, we don't have any information, but here's another number you could call. And that happened for probably two or three times, Yeah, where I got another number to call, and they didn't know anything about it. Finally, the I think the third or fourth number, someone said, call us back, and hopefully we'll have some information for you. And they, they said, we here's, here's a uh, number for someone that has something to do with Chicago Outreach. And it happened to be... Um, Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge. So Teen yeah. Challenge was participating, or the director of Teen Challenge at the time was also involved in directing Chicago Outreach, and they so they sent so I spent my first night in Chicago at Teen Challenge in Humboldt Park, uh, Chicago. Wow, very rough neighborhood for those who know Chicago. <laughs> and were you spending the night with the Teen Challenge participants? I was. Like in the same dormitory yep, with uh, that's right. people that were going yep. through rehab and whatever a- else. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. That was that was my start. And the next day, I met the the director. His name was Rich, and he was not at the time very enthusiastic about me just showing up in Chicago. Had they received your application? <laughs> Apparently not. So he, when we met in his office, and of course you have to understand. It, they, they run a tight ship at Teen Challenge, yeah. you know, and they, you know, they've, they've got to. Yeah. And if I could describe what I looked like at the time, the best I could tell you is I had, I had long curly hair past my shoulders. 
I had my black jacket, which had the spikes, the studs, the chains. Of course, the Jesus Saves on the back. Yeah. I wore a 146 stud Harley belt. Nice. Uh, skate pants. And I had these stupid looking uh, leather moccasins that were knee high that knee I used to wear. high. <laughs> With the fringe and everything. It was, it, you know, so I was a, a sight to, to you behold. You were a skate punk yes. spending the night with their teen challenge group saying, yes. I want to be on and so this, so this, guy, yeah, so this guy, Rich, was not real enthusiastic about, yeah. about this. Yeah. So he, um, he said, what are you doing here? I said, I've come to serve the Lord in Chicago with, with Chicago Archery. He said, we had no idea you were coming. I said, well, I filled out my application. I never heard back from you guys. And he was, he was, he was visibly angry. Ooh. Not a good start Ooh. for me, you know. Ooh. And he says, "Well, you can't just show up like this." I said, "Well, I really felt called by God, and I, since I didn't hear from you guys, I just thought I would." Yeah. <laughs> so I'm here no matter what, and if yeah. it's not this, I'll find something else to do for the Lord in Chicago. I believe I'm supposed to be here. And he stomped out of the room. He was so upset. He stomped out of the room, and I and I just sat there going, "Well, what do I do now?" Yeah. And a, a few minutes later, he came back holding an envelope unopened and it was my application lost in a pile of of uh unopened mail okay and he didn't even open it he just his countenance had changed he was a little more humble (laughs) and he he i could see that it was my application yeah and he says well he says i guess you are coming to chicago outreach so he said i'm gonna i'm gonna give you some directions and send you to a church and when you get there i'll let him know you're coming and they'll take care of you from here. So that's that's how that all began. And it was a, ch- a church plant downtown Chicago. So unbeknownst to me, while I was driving 45 minutes to downtown, uh, Rich calls the pastor of this church. His name's Aaron. And he says, Aaron, I'm sending you a guy who's going to work with your church for this summer for Chicago Outreach. And, he said, and Aaron said, no, 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 no. We, we, uh, we did that last year. It didn't go so well. We don't, we don't want... You know, we don't we we don't want anybody this summer. And he says, "Well, it's too bad. He's he's already on his way." And it's like, don't do this to me, Rich. You know, you can't just dump a kid on me. So once again, that's what I'm heading towards. So they they got off the phone, and and I heard about this story later. But Aaron was upset, very upset. The pastor at the the church. pastor of the church. He did not want this kid from Oregon who just you know Walked showed up out of the street. Yeah, he's like, we don't want to babysit this kid for the summer. Well, while he was fuming about that, another call came in for him from a, a former associate pastor of his. And, and this man could tell that Aaron was upset. He said, what are you upset about? So he explained it. And he says, is the young man's name Philip? And of course, the room probably got silent at that point. He says, it is. How did you know that? He says, because I met him. I was speaking at a camp in oh spring. Oh, my goodness. And I told him about Chicago Outreach, and I told him he needed to come and be a part of it. So it was this, it was this guy, Dean, yeah. that I had met, who had been the former pastor or associate pastor with Pastor Aaron. Yeah. And he says, he told Aaron, says, Aaron, this kid is, he loves the Lord, and he's going to be a real benefit to having at your church for this summer. You should be excited about it. And, and he did. He got excited. So that by the time I, I arrived at that church downtown, I was welcomed with open arms and genuine enthusiasm. Man. And I walked in and met their secretary, who would someday become my lovely wife. Oh, another win. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a bonus all over. You know? Great. I, I had nothing to offer to the Lord or to the kingdom except a willingness to say yes and to obey. 
And I began to see him orchestrate things in my life. And that was a good, these were good experiences as a young believer. I'm, I'm 18 years old at the time. Yeah. And that's building a foundation for the rest of my life and ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about what happened through that summer. And then you mentioned meeting Mary, who would later become your wife. Tell us about that experience. Yeah. Well, the, the summer program was fantastic. It was everything that Dean said it would be. It gave me a broad exposure to the city, where, you know, both helping with or, um, outreaches in the projects, you know, Cabrini Green, uh, the Robert Taylor Homes, various other neighborhoods, interacting with other churches and young people. And at the end of the summer, the we had such a great relationship, uh, myself and the church, that uh, Pastor Aaron hired me. I got my first staff position as a custodian. <laughs> As a, okay, yeah, as as I, was the, I was the church janitor, nice. and uh, and I was so excited to be in full time ministry as a janitor That's of the awesome. church. That's awesome. We also um, our church back in 1990 built one of the first skateboard ministries in the country. Wow! And we we built a, a small skate park in the basement of the church, and we we called it Skate Church. And so for the next year. We would open our doors every Friday night to about a hundred skateboarders who would come in for, and they had to come to a church service that we held, and and then we'd let them skate for the rest of the night. Yeah. And that's where I also began to get in front of people a little bit. I was always afraid of of speaking publicly, but the youth pastor, whose name was Dirk, he would he would have me do the announcements every yeah. week. And I'm yeah. I'm 18. These are a bunch of skateboarders. It shouldn't be a big deal. But I used to be terrified to even get up in front of them really? and give the weekly announcements. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's how I also began seeing how God can use unique t- ways to minister to people. Yeah. And we saw some genuine fruit from that. Like, you know, it was having an impact on the skateboarders. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell us about your relationship with Mary then. Yeah, well, we uh, we worked together for the next year, and uh, I remember once saying a prayer, Lord, I don't know who you have planned for my future, for a spouse, but if I could put in a request, I would love for it to be someone like Mary, the secretary. At the time, I didn't think I had any any chance, you know, yeah. no shot at me. She was She's single, but uh, all the guys in the church, you know, was were probably aspiring to her. Yeah, and uh, and you were just the church janitor. And I was just the janitor. You know, there's no no chance. But I did at least put on my request to the Lord and said, I I really think her character and her personality is is the type of person I would like to marry. Yeah. So yeah, God answered that prayer better than I gave it. So <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we we fell in love and and got married. We've been uh, we'll be celebrating. Uh, 27 years of, of marriage in a couple weeks. That's awesome. I know from you know knowing you over the last several years, media is something that you talk about a lot. Uh, in fact, you have an organization that you founded and you're the president of called Media Talk 101. Can you tell us about how did that come to be and, and what the ministry is? Sure. Back in 1998, Mary and I moved from Chicago out to rural Illinois, a little town called Mount Carroll, And I served as a youth pastor, and I was expecting to be a pastor to Opie in Mayberry. You know, this is a town of 1,700 people, rural Illinois, agriculture, cornfields, soybean fields, dairy farms. That's, you know, so certainly this has got to be a cush job, you know? Oh, yeah. And yet one of the big shockers for me moving out of Chicago was to see that the kids in that rural area, was they were struggling with everything 
that the kids in the inner city were struggling with except for gang activity. That was the one thing that was different. There was no gang activity. And I began to contemplate that going, what in the world? How can you come out to this rural community and see all these problems going on with drugs and broken homes and unwanted pregnancies and suicides and and violence? And, and it was... Uh, and this is a town of 1,700 people. 1,700 people, not even a stoplight in town. You know, wow. one stoplight in the whole county, but that wasn't in our town. And I realized at that point the power of media and entertainment, mm. that wherever you had computer access, radio, um, you know, the, the, the things that built culture, you know, were in the country as much as they were in the inner city. Mm. And that's really what provoked me to start thinking deeply about the effects of media and entertainment, and also to try to find ways to help young people. So that's when I was inspired to start Media Talk 101 with the thought of uh, a nonprofit that would exist to uh, help teach. Initially, it was students, but then it broadened into reaching out to parents and teachers and pastors and leaders. Yeah, yeah. So I established that in 2005. 2005. And, and tell us, like, what is the the main premise of Media Talk 101? You already alluded to a little bit, but yeah, we have a well, we have a tagline. Uh, teaching media discernment in the light of following Christ. And it really, essentially, as a Christian, how does how does discernment when it comes to media play that role, positive and negative, in our life? Uh, we can't live a compartmentalized life saying, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to be concerned about what I'm listening to, what I'm watching. Those things do affect me, yeah, for good or for bad, and I need to understand those. So I really wanted to help people to have a biblical worldview on media and entertainment to see that not all entertainment's bad, but it's not all good either. Yeah. Um, 2005, you launched Media Talk 101. You also wrote a book at the same time. Mm -hmm. Walk us forward through time. Like, what are the other things that the ministry has now begun to do? Well, the, when I began to speak on the subject, I was determined not to do that without taking my family along. I didn't, I, you know, family is very important to me. And being a husband and a father, I didn't want ministry to come first. So I made a choice, which was a, a sacrifice for our family and for the ministry, but it was, a, it was more of a benefit for the, the family than it was the ministry, and that was I bought an RV, and I traveled with my family. So for, for nearly 10 years, we traveled uh, about six months out of the year. Wow. And then we'd be home, you know, and, and back out on the road. Really just finding anywhere I could to communicate with, with people. Got it. Got it. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. 
These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing. And their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Ten Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. And then take us forward from that point. The next big change happened here in San Antonio. We were living, we moved from Illinois to San Antonio in 2006. And as a, as a newbie to San Antonio, I, I met an organization, uh, the leader of an organization who was running a film festival and, and, and learned about our ministry and invited me to attend. Now, I had no interest in creating film, but I'm new in the community and I get invited to an event. Why not? I was introduced to Stephen Kendrick, who was one of the speakers. And some of the things he shared really made me start thinking about the power of film and how it should be integrated into ministry. I wasn't ready to pull the trigger yet, but uh, it definitely planted those seeds. And in a conversation I had with Stephen in the hallway that year, uh, he really encouraged me to think about documentary Mm. and the power of documentary for a ministry like ours. Mm. It would be a couple years later before I really decided to go that direction, but it But that's what happened. And so in 2011, uh, I set out to spend the whole year uh, creating a documentary called Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media Captive Culture. And uh, we released it in December of that year, 2011. And uh, that really had a huge impact in our ministry of Media Talk 101, because where now, where I couldn't be everywhere at once, the documentary was going all around the world. I had no idea that, I was hoping it would spread throughout the U.S., but I had no idea at the time that it was actually gonna spread globally. Wow, wow. 
Can you tell us a little about the impact that that documentary Captivated has had? It's been used in China by teachers wanting to reach people. Yeah. It's been it's been uh, translated into Russian. It's been dubbed into Russian for Russian satellite yeah. broadcast. You know, it's uh, of course we have uh, Spanish subtitles, and it's been you know it's been spreading through Mexico and um, other Spanish speaking countries. A neat thing: I was at a speaking at a conference uh, about a year ago, and a young couple came up to me. I didn't recognize them, but. The, the young lady used to be part of my youth group when I was a youth pastor. Oh, wow. Now she was, you know, a um, married woman with children. And she shared her testimony and she said, you know, my husband and I really had a problem with our entertainment choices and, and media choices. And someone gave us your documentary, Captivated, and we watched it like, hey, this is my former youth pastor made this. Wow. And she says, we got so convicted. We really... Uh, decided to to really clean house and and uh, make big major changes and we are so grateful it's made such a difference in our marriage and now as new parents and even in our ministry so thank you for, for making that document of like wow who would have known let's transition tell us about um, well there there's a huge project that you work with now currently called the Christian Worldview Film Festival why don't you tell us how that came to be and and your role with that. Well, when I was becoming more interested in documentary, I began being a better student and putting myself around other Christian filmmakers. That's how we met. Right. You know, that's, right. And, and, uh, and I began to meet other Christian filmmakers, and that's a small little subculture of Christianity. Yeah. So once you dip your toes into th- those waters, you know, you begin to make friends. Yeah. And you begin to enter into a whole new world. And that world was one I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed being around content creators and people enthusiastic about film. I felt it was very beneficial to our ministry, which sometimes gets the bad rap of being anti-media and anti-technology, right, which right. we're not, but but sometimes that's people's perception. Right. So being around content creators was was really important. And through the process of making the documentary, that put me more into the stream of that world of independent Christian filmmaking, collaborating with other people, working with other people from the production side, pre-production, production, post-production, as well as distribution, and learning from others. So that became part of our new community, or the content creators. And then in 2013, uh, we, I continued to produce short projects, whether they were promotionals or short films, and just be engaged in the community. And many of us were gearing up for another festival in San Antonio in 2014 when uh, we all got an announcement that that particular festival had come to a close. Right. Abruptly. Many of us had projects. Now, I, I had a couple short film projects I was going to be entering but I had friends that had been working on projects for a year or two years, and everybody was anticipating this, this event. And it was such a communal letdown. You yeah. know, there was a communal groan that just kind of went through the filmmaking community. And as a pastor, you know, because I've got a pastor's heart, and this was part of my community, I really felt a burden for, for the filmmakers. And just to clarify, like this was not just a 
Christian Film Festival. This was a very significant— One of the most significant Christian film festivals in the country. I, I mean, it's gotten a lot of us, like you and myself, kind of involved in filmmaking from the, from the get-go. Almost. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a big letdown. And I began to inquire. I began to ask other people, is, is anybody going to try to do something? You know, try to, you know, even just for this year, uh, do something to help the filmmakers. They've got projects. They were anticipating a festival. And, and nobody that I talked to really had any vision for that. And I, I felt differently. So I began to talk with my, my wife and then the other pastors at our church and my board of directors and asked them, I said, do you? Do you, do you think that we should run a film festival, at least this year, you know, just to help out while there's this uh, let, big letdown? We could, how hard, how hard can it be, you know, to, to rent a venue, get some films, yeah. invite people to come watch them. Yeah. Boy, was I naive. It was a good thing. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into. I might not have gotten into it. Yeah. So not many months later, we had our first event held in uh, San Antonio. We had 700 people attend. We had a, a hundred films that had been submitted. They were films that were ready to submit to the other festival. So they submitted to, to ours and we, we invited people to come watch them. We gave out some modest awards, but most importantly, we wanted to honor the Lord and encourage this community to keep their eyes focused on Jesus and keep making media that, that honors him and impacts the world. We have half the week is what we call the Filmmakers Guild, where we invite uh, people in the industry as well as people who can speak to the subject of worldview, uh, to come in and give workshops and keynote sessions. And that's really the heart of what we're doing. That's that teaching component. We wanted filmmakers to both have some practical um, things that would apply to the craft of filmmaking, but we also want to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. So we, we have the first three days of a week-long event just dedicated to training and, and worldview talks. Yeah. So I know that during this adventure with Media Talk 101, you also became a co-pastor at Living Water Fellowship in Bulverde, Texas. How did the church respond to you starting a film festival? They were so supportive, and uh, they, they became our volunteer base, and I'm so glad to have the congregation that we have. It just stepped up and really made this—it it didn't, it didn't uh, create a wedge between— uh, myself as the pastor and the church, it actually helped us grow closer together hmm. in that first year to hmm. actually have something we were doing together. Yeah. So that was the beginning of the Christian Worldview Film Festival, which now uh, we've just celebrated our fifth annual event in Franklin, Tennessee in March of uh, 2018. Philip, it has been such a joy and a privilege to get to talk to you and to hear your story and to hear the testimony of God just working through your life. And I know that I've been really encouraged uh, just hearing that. I'm sure our listeners will be also. Uh, if there's one last thing that you could just leave with listeners to talk about uh, or to think about, whether it be about media choices or something else in your heart, what, what would you have to say? The most important thing goes back to this idea that we don't belong to ourselves. Mm. We're told that we've been bought with a price. Yeah. Many of us don't live that way. But there's hardly a day where I don't reflect back on what it was like to live a life without God without Christ and and the joy of serving him. And I wish more people would would consider the joy and the, the real life that they could find by by simply turning their hearts over to him and saying, you know, you be in control of my life, not me. Yeah. You've been listening to Philip Telfer on Compelled. We've it's been a joy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. 
What a blessing to hear how God changed someone's life at the very moment they planned to take it. You know, Philip's testimony really illustrates how God is never hindered by our own weakness, but rather delights to use our willing hearts regardless of their background. You can learn more about Philip at his website, philiptelfer.com. You can also visit our website, compelledpodcast.com, and search for this episode. There, we'll include links to Philip's church, Media Talk 101, the Christian Worldview Film Festival, his documentary, Captivated, books he's written, songs he's written, and so much more. And we've uploaded a photo that Philip sent us of what he looked like back when he was a hardcore BMX rider. He's got this crazy long hair, a leather jacket. I mean, it's the whole nine yards. Plus, there's also a more recent video of him doing tricks on his BMX bike, including surfing on his bike. I mean, seriously, you've got to watch this. Also, Philip has graciously donated a free copy of his book, Media Choices, and his DVD, Captivated, which we'll be giving away for free this week to a certain somebody. Uh, To get your chance at winning a copy, head over to our Facebook page and leave a comment on the post about this episode, or even better, share the Facebook post with your friends or both, and you'll be entered into a free drawing. And then at the end of this week, we'll choose a random two winners uh, to get one will get a copy of the book, one will get a copy of the DVD. You can find links to all of this at our website, compelledpodcast.com. You can also find our other episodes by visiting our website or by subscribing to Compelled on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcast platforms. Episodes are released every Tuesday. Thanks again to everyone who has shared our podcast and our stories ever since we launched just two weeks ago. Thanks also to all of you who have left reviews or five-star ratings wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, who is a gifted film editor, visual effects artist, and storyteller. You can find Zach and his work at ZachFowlerImagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost, an incredibly talented logo designer. You can reach Josiah and view his work at SiahDesign.com. Also, congratulations to Josiah and his wife on the birth of their new baby. Our website was created by Ben Billups, a digital developer extraordinaire. You can follow Ben on Instagram at ben.billups. Special thanks to my wife, Sarah Hastings, for helping make this project a reality. Without her, this podcast wouldn't exist. And that's it for this episode. Stick around after the music for a sneak peek at our next episode. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll see you again next Tuesday. What happened with me was I, I, I got to the very top of my world. I'm getting ready to start a right guard. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to make, in today's dollars, about $600,000 in six months. Um, and yet even football was empty. And that's when you know, I got hit in the face. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. 
I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.